Well, we finished the short little mini-series within a series, Expecting a King. That king is, of course, Jesus, whose birth we celebrated. Now I want to get back into the uh, kind of the flow of the divine, the soul music, the psalms. And uh, Psalm 20 was one of the ones that was requested. And as I, as I looked at it, it just struck me as particularly appropriate for the new year and for wishes for the new year. So that's what I want to look at this morning. Let me read Psalm 20 for us. Nine short verses, the very word of the living God. Psalm 20. To the choir master, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the King. May He answer us when we call. Again, so ends the reading of God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. As we come before it this morning, let me pray for us. Our Lord, our God, we come before your word this morning and we ask, as we do every week, that you would fulfill your promise that as it goes out, it would not return to you void or empty, but instead accomplish everything that you purpose for it, that it would be successful in the very things for which you send it. For us now, we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, fill us with your Holy Spirit, to open our eyes and ears to see and hear what you would have us learn this morning from your word. Make it, we ask, a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths so that we might walk according to all that it teaches us. Father, we ask this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, here we are coming up on the new year. Typical greeting as we come up on a new year is just a simple Happy New Year. Occasionally you might get a card from somebody with a greeting or blessing in it. This time of year you might watch a television show that recaps the year. They like to interview celebrities and ask them about their year or what they're hoping for in the new year. You see this on TV. You see it in in, uh, internet news sites. You see it in the newspaper, magazines, all over the place. Some examples that I found, first from the movies, Leonard Nimoy was famous for his simple blessing, live long and prosper. Star Wars had to come up with their own. May the force be with you. Yoda, that's Yoda. Brad Paisley. I found this quote on numerous sites, so it must be popular. Brad Paisley says this, tomorrow, he's speaking about the new year, 
Tomorrow is the first blank page of a 365-page book. Write a good one. There's a challenge. It's your responsibility to write a good book of your life. Oprah Winfrey, the modern guru, expresses this prayer or hope or blessing. Cheers to a new year and another chance for us to get it right. Now what's she saying in there? We've messed up every other year. Thank goodness for a new year. Let's try and get it right this time. That's encouraging. (laughs) The famous Helen Keller. Her blessing, her wish for a new year. Your success and happiness lies in you. Resolve to keep happy. And your joy and you shall form an invincible host against difficulties. Again, it's all on you. You want to have a good year, it's on you. Be happy. Resolve to be happy. That will be an invincible host against difficulties. Saw this uh, greeting card for 2016. (laughs) Welcome, New Year. We look forward to you. A year of wonderful happiness, a year of good health, a year of great success, a year of incredibly good luck, a year of continuous fun, a year of world peace. Had to get in one kind of altruistic thing in there at the end. Happy New Year 2016. Now, who doesn't want to be happy or have health or success, but really, I mean, this is what we hope for. There are some traditional blessings appropriate at any time, but also remembered at the new year. An old one that's been around for quite some time. May you have the hindsight to know where you've been, the foresight to know where you are going, and the insight to know when you have gone too far. So again, it's all on you. You've got to be wise enough, have the, the foresight and the hindsight and the insight to, to manage your life properly. Here's another one that's a little bit more sentimental. May you always have enough happiness to keep you sweet. Enough trials to keep you strong. Enough success to keep you eager. Enough faith to give you courage. And enough determination to make each day a special day. Once again, it's on you. You want blessing, you want happiness. In the new year, it's on you. This one must have come from the Old West. May your belly never grumble, may your heart never ache, may your horse never, never stumble, and your cinch never break. <laughs> There's the famous Irish blessing. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face, and rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, May God hold you in the palm of his hand. That's, it ends nice. But some of it is, it's poetry, and we've got to give a little license for poetry, but roads don't rise to meet us. We go up and down where they go up and down. <laughs> and the wind blows where it will, not always at our back. So again, mostly sentimentality. Ending with something spiritual, that God would hold you in the palm of his hand. That's... That's getting there. If we're going to go Irish, we might as well go Scottish, because that's our heritage as Presbyterians. This is a very interesting blessing. 
If there is righteousness in the heart, there will be beauty in the character. If there is beauty in the character, there will be harmony in the home. If there is harmony in the home, there will be order in the nation. If there is order in the nation, there will be peace in the world. So let it be. Now that one has some teeth to it, I think, a little bit of bite. But it assumes a lot at the beginning, doesn't it? If there is righteousness in the heart, what does the Bible say about righteousness? No one's righteous. I guess we're doomed. There's Scottish optimism for you. So the Irish blessing, the Scottish blessing, imply or or mention God himself. But so much of what we wish one another, so much of what we hope for one another, is just either sentimental goodness or, or, well, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make it happen yourself. It's so starkly godless. Where is he? And how is he involved in how our year will be? Does God have no say in it? Well, we as Christians believe that he does. That he is sovereign, that he rules in our lives, in everyone's life. We believe that God knows our days before we're even born, before we live them. So why not look to Scripture for a blessing, a prayer for ourselves and for the new year? And, and I, ha- I think we have this. I think there's a way we can use Psalm 20 for just that purpose. This is a psalm that's been traditionally seen as a prayer for the king, and, and understandably so if you look at uh, the reference to the, the anointed of the Lord in verse 6, or the direct plea to save the king in verse 9. <clears throat> and so traditionally this has been interpreted as a prayer for the king. I want to consider that a little bit later. This morning, though, I want to look at it as a prayer. It's a prayer that desires blessing for others. And then it's also a a personal declaration of faith and trust in the Lord God. The psalm can break down into those two categories, those two themes. Divides easily into those two parts. And I want to consider those two parts separately. First, this idea of of a, a prayer or blessing for others. You notice in the first five verses, the focus is on you. May the Lord answer you, protect you, send you help, give you support, remember all your offerings, and so on and so forth. This is a prayer of of the one who's praying the psalm for someone else. And then it begins to shift in verse 5 and really shifts in verse 6. It's about now us, we. I know the Lord saves his anointed. We trust in the name of our God. We rise and stand Upright, answer us when we call. So there's an outward focus of the psalm and then an inward focus as well. And I think the first part, verses 1 to 5 especially, is appropriate for any blessing at any time, but certainly is appropriate for the new year. Now, this idea of uh, the psalm being a, a psalm that's a prayer for the king. If so, it's a prayer for the king to be blessed and for his prayers to be answered and for the Lord to protect him. One of the great questions that commentators struggle with is, is, well, this is a psalm of David. Who do you write it for? 
when he says, may the Lord answer you, who's the you? Is it Saul? The Lord's anointed, as we saw him referred to constantly in, in 1 Samuel. Is it Solomon? Is this written at David's uh, deathbed or near the end of his life, and he's writing this for his son Solomon? He's writing it in general as worship for the temple, for all the kings of Israel, a prayer for Israel, the nation, to pray for all the kings. Or is he writing it particularly for that one son that God promised who will sit on his throne forever? The truth is we don't know. And so that's one of the complications or difficulties in saying that this is definitively a a psalm for the king. Problem, the problem with that for us is it kind of, kind of limits the application a little bit. It makes it more applicable, applicable to others than to us. Those who have a king, for example, or the Israelites in particular. Now we can turn it into a prayer, a, a, an exemplary prayer for our own leaders, and that I think is, is fine and appropriate. But it assumes, note, note the assumption in this, in this psalm, <clears throat> that the people praying it are God-fearing people who are asking God for the right things so that we can confidently hope that God fulfills their petitions in verse 5. There's a, a famous preacher whose sermon I listened to partially who justified the application of the blessings in this psalm for a king to us by saying, well, we're a royal priesthood, so we're kings, so I can apply this to us. And that's a little weak, I think, a little bit of a stretch. So how do we apply it for us? Well, I, let me suggest a, a couple things to think about. First of all, it's only tradition. It's only tradition that this is a prayer for a king. There's nothing in Scripture that requires that interpretation. And secondly, we can look at the way the king is spoken of in the psalm and apply that to ourselves, I think, in some very helpful ways. We can acknowledge the important role of the king in the psalm while still making it very relevant for us today. I want to try and do that in the second part of the sermon this morning. So if, there, if we can make a more general application, especially of the first five verses, uh, then this is an incredible blessing to pray for those around us. Better than movie quotes, better than celebrity quotes, better than empty platitudes on greeting cards, no matter how poetic. Each verse of the first five verses looks to the Lord for, for, for fulfillment of the request contained in it. God is the source of blessing. This is a psalm that looks to God rather than to man or to ourselves or, or just to empty ideas or impossibilities, roads rising to meet us. So fundamentally, this psalm sees God as the source of blessing and wishes that upon others. We can see this verse by verse, the request. Verse 1, the, the emphasis, the theme in that verse is safety. To receive an answer from God in times of trouble and that God would protect you. God himself, the name of God. May the Lord answer you when you're in trouble. May, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May you have safety. 
What a wonderful thing to pray for, for others. May God keep you safe. <clears throat> Verse 2 emphasizes assistance from God. Help that comes from God's sanctuary. Support from Zion itself, another name for God's dwelling place where the sanctuary was located. So may God help you and support you in all things. You don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to resolve to have joy and hope. God will help you. May God help and support you in all things. Verse 3 emphasizes the favor that we have when we're in a right relationship with God. It's put in terms of the worship of the Old Testament. May He remember your offerings and regard with favor your burnt offerings. But we don't make burnt offerings today. But God does regard us with favor in and through Jesus Christ, by grace and through faith in Him. And so in Christ, may you in your service to God find favor with Him. Again, what a wonderful thing to pray for for someone. May you in all that you do find favor with the Lord God. Verse 5, we get to God's generosity. May He grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. God is not a a stingy God. He's not a miser up in heaven. One preacher describes him as being profligate, almost spendthrift, effusive in his love and generous in the gifts that he gives. If that's the kind of God we serve, and it is, Paul says that he's loved us with a great love and has been rich in mercy toward us. In Colossians 1 that we read, we saw the the great uh, inheritance that we have, this rich inheritance with all the, the saints. So may this generous God generously give you the desires of your heart. The universe doesn't give those to us. The world doesn't give them to us. The wind doesn't magically blow at our back. God is generous toward us. And then the fifth verse emphasizes God's salvation and the joy that comes with it. We shout for joy over your salvation. In the name of God, we set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. This all-encompassing blessing. May every single petition you have be fulfilled by God. Nothing lacking. Now, as, as Luther said to Melanchthon, what do you want? What do you request? The things of God are the selfish things of our own heart. But now think of this as a blessing, as a wish for one another. May God keep you safe. May God help you and support you. May you find favor with God. May God give you your heart's desires. May God save you. That's a blessing. That's a wonderful prayer. May that be our blessing and our prayer, not just for one another here at at Mission, but especially for those around us, both those who know God and, and those who are yet to know Him. Think of that fifth verse. May we shout for joy over your salvation. Think about saying that to a non-believer. 
I want to have joy when you're saved. That'll, that'll make him stop and think. <laughs> so a great blessing, a great prayer for those around us. Verse 5 kind of introduces those praying the we. May we shout for joy. And that leads into verse 6 through 9. Transitioning the point of view from the prayer for those others to really a declaration of faith and trust in God. And central to that faith and central to that trust is that this is the God who saves and protects and answers the king. From verses 6 and 9. I want to look at that from both an Old Testament and kind of a New Testament perspective as well. The verses themselves are, are pretty straightforward beginning with an expression of of confidence. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. That's the typical Old Testament term for the king himself, though it's the same Hebrew word from which we get the term Messiah. Most often, it's used most directly of the king. Sometimes that king is a shadow of the Messiah to come, but The Lord's anointed is a very common expression in the Old Testament for the king. God answers from heaven, answers the king from heaven with the saving might of his right hand. So the emphasis here seems to be on protection from danger. There's some danger out there. There's some hidden danger lurking. And the strong saving right hand of the Lord God protects and saves his anointed, the king. Verses 7 and 8 provide a contrast with the rest of the world. Other people trust in worldly might and power, chariots or horses, that in the end collapse and fall. What do we trust in? We trust in the name of the Lord our God, and we rise and we stand upright. This is the covenant Lord whose secret name indicates his eternal power and might, his sovereignty his transcendence, his, his otherness from his creation. Because he is the eternal creator. He's the ruler over all things. So his name is a name of power and one in which we can trust. We could put this in, in contemporary terms. Some trust in Democrats and some in Republicans. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in conservatives and libertarians and others trust in liberals and progressives. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in investments and stocks and securities and retirement accounts, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in presidents and governors and mayors and others in power, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in capitalism, some trust in socialism, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We're a different kind of people. Our hope, our trust is is somewhere else than what the world looks to. And then the psalm ends with a prayer for the king. O Lord, save the king. And then a prayer for us that God would answer us when we call. So there's an Old Testament perspective in this psalm that's very evident, I think, for David the author, for the people of Israel, for the kings that would follow David. Evidence of God's favor, and we see this over and over again in Samuel, in Kings, and in Chronicles. 
the stories of the kings of Israel and Judah, that God's favor and protection for the nation is very much tied to his favor and protection of the king. And the second part of this psalm expresses confidence that God will save and protect the king, and in so doing, save and protect the nation as well. Hear and answer the prayers of the king. And we can look back to the first part of the psalm as an expectation that the king would be in God's favor, that he's considered a good king when the nation is seen to be truly prospering. The right sacrifices are offered. The offerings are remembered by God. Prospering is worship, prospering, the right worship of God, rather than economic or other you know, military prosperity. Because there was a great deal of material prosperity for some very evil kings in both Israel and Judah. Might seem odd at first because that's what we usually connect it to prosperity. That's how we measure our economy, how big it is. But then think of our own situation. Is not America the most powerful nation on the face of the earth, the most prosperous nation ever to exist in the history of mankind? And at the time of our greatest prosperity and strength, we can see, I think, pretty clearly moral decline, spiritual decline. Are we a prosperous nation from the point of view of God? No, we're not. However prosperous we might be in a worldly sense. But for the Old Testament people of God, this psalm would be an expression of faith and confidence that God would deliver the king, hear the king when he answers, give favor to the king and accept his sacrifices and offerings. From a New Testament perspective, we're in a different world now. We don't live in an Old Testament monarchy where God rules directly through a God-anointed king, or at least is supposed to. So how can we apply this psalm to us? How does it relate to us? How can we apply this psalm in the second half of it, especially to us today? I think, again, we can pray for our leaders, that they would be godly, that they would seek after God that they would offer him the right worship, and that they would look to his word for wisdom and how to rule and how to govern. Unfortunately, those kinds of leaders seem very few and far between in reality. So that's a little bit of a disconnect for us. Another thing is that the psalm is written in the context of a nation whose people are in a covenant relationship with God. He is their God. They are his people. And we can see this reflected implicitly in the psalm when you see the the, the word Lord in, in capital letters. This is the covenant name of God, Yahweh. But that's different today. Who are God's people today? With what people is God in the covenant relationship with? Where he is their God and they are his people. Well, it's It's the church. We are his people. Paul wrote to the Colossians, you've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son. You're in a new kingdom now. We're his people. He is our God and he is our king. He's given us his anointed 
one, his own son, Jesus Christ, who we call Messiah. And he protects us. And he saves us. And he answers our prayers. So we are a people who do not trust in the strength and the power of the world around us when we're in trouble. We trust in the Lord our God. We don't look to worldly leaders, but we look to godly leaders given to us by the Lord himself, elders and deacons and others to lead us in the church, men and women of wisdom and experience to give us guidance and discipleship and mentoring. We trust in the Lord our God. We trust in his son, Jesus Christ. We're not like the world around us. We don't need another year to to finally, hopefully, maybe get things right. That's so depressing. Think of Oprah Winfrey's statement. It's so depressing. Cheers to another year and a chance for us to finally get it right. How depressing is that? Because we know we can't. We are a people who have to admit. It's a condition of our faith. We have to admit that we can't do it. That we're sinners in need of salvation. And that's exactly what God has done for us. Saved us from ourselves and our own sin. There's no worry about failure, not in an eternal sense, because God keeps us. We have found favor with the Lord. And we can shout for joy over the salvation that he has given to us. And we, we can look to Jesus as the king that God has saved. God saved his anointed, saved him from death, saved him from the grave, raised him to life, put him at his right hand of power. From where he answers our prayers, from where he delivers us. May he answer us when we call? Oh, yes. The Lord answers us when we call. Our Savior, our King, intercedes for us before the Father himself. So this is a psalm for us today. A psalm for the new year, a psalm for our King. And a wonderful blessing to be offered at any time of year, but especially as we consider moving into a new year. May God answer you when you call. May He answer all of us when we call. And He will. For the same God who gave us Jesus Christ, whose birth we have celebrated, gave Him to us as a Savior and as a King. It's the same God who blesses us in all areas of life. Call upon Him and be saved. Trust in Him and be blessed. Again, think of the blessing in this psalm. May God keep you safe. May God help and support you. May you find favor with God. May God give you your heart's desires. And may God save you. May that be true for all of us in the coming year. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God and our Father, indeed we know that the only blessings we have in this life come from you. We know as well that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. 
May we know that truth. May we find confidence in these truths. May we find true joy in you and in Christ our Savior in the coming year. Not in princes, not in horses, not in chariots, not in anything else. But in you and your word and your spirit poured out upon us, pointing us ever and again to our King and our Savior Jesus Christ. We ask all of these things in his precious and holy name. Amen.